Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags. Hefty Strong, all day long. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Introducing the SND Podcast channel, your one-stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. Welcome to Sarasso and the Beard. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And this is Sarasso and the Beard, Episode 8. And Jose, we are almost at double digits. I know, eight episodes. Man, I mean, it's, it's, it's starting to feel really Kardashian-like, you know? Hopefully we get picked up for a second season, but, you know, fingers crossed here. Yeah, doing well so far and heading towards week four in the NFL season. So a lot of it conversation today is going to be primarily on the NFL. We'll give our predictions for the week four games, obviously, We'll talk about, as well, the Packers-Bears game that played last night as we're recording this on Friday. And to start off, I want to just start with the New York Giants. And Jose is from Brooklyn. I'm from Staten Island. Both of us New York born. And, you know, we are going to start with the New York team today. And, Jose, the Giants 0-3 to start the season. They've lost to the Cowboys, Lions, and the Eagles. And, I, honestly, if you'd asked any football fan which New York team was going to start 0-3, you have to figure 99% were going to take the Jets, but it's the Giants who start 0-3 on the season. So, Jose, what's been going wrong for the Giants this year? Well, first things first, you know, we, you know I talked about it a lot last week with friends and, and you know other people that I knew about the 0-2 start for the Giants, and I kept telling them, you know, don't look too much into it. Yes, they're 0-2. But look at who they faced also. You know, you faced the Cowboys in week one. Tough matchup. You faced the Lions in week two. Again, tough matchup. So you give benefit of the doubt to those other two teams. You tip your cap to the Cowboys and Lions. Those are tough matchups to have in week one and week two. Kind of like the Packers where they drew the Seahawks in week one, the Falcons in week two. You know, it was almost, you know, you would it would be acceptable if the Packers started the year 0-2. Same thing for the Giants. But when you get to week three now, and now you're facing the Eagles. And I'm not bashing the Eagles because the Eagles are actually a really good team too. But the way that that game played out is basically going to be the story of the Giants' season. I mean, the Giants struggled offensively for three quarters of that game. The defense was on the field for way too long. Defense was tired out by the time it got to the fourth quarter when the Giants actually had a lead. So the defense was too tired to try and even hold the lead in the fourth quarter. And then when you're about, what, 40 seconds away from overtime, the Giants make some stupid plays and allow the Eagles to have a chance with the ball with 20 seconds left. And on top of that, they don't use their timeout to ice the kicker, but rather take a random timeout with 20 seconds left in the ball game. That makes no sense to me for the Giants. So what's going on right now? Again, it's very frustrating because we said it when we made our predictions. There's no excuses this year for the Giants. They have the offensive weapons. They have great defense again like they did last year. Things shouldn't be this hard for New York, but it is. Why? Because year after year, the Giants have the same problem. They don't have an O-line. They don't have a run game. And year after year, the Giants do nothing to fix that. Now, give Perkins and Dark Ross some credit. 
they're doing okay with the running game, but they're not great running backs. They don't have that lead back, you know, to go out there and, and push it through when the Giants really need that run game to come through. The O-line does not do a good job of protecting Eli Manning, and it's not just Eric Flowers. I kind of feel bad for Flowers sometimes, and I feel like he gets a lot of the, you know, he gets a lot of the, the criticism. But really, that entire O-line is just garbage for Eli Manning to try and even throw to. And when you have receivers like Odell Beckham, Brandon Marshall, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, these guys are all kind of like deep ball threats. You need time to set up that kind of play with these kind of wide receivers slash tight ends. And really, Eli Manning just doesn't have that time. So for the Giants, yet it's the new look Giants, no excuses, but it's the same old problems. Bad O-line, no run game, and they leave the defense on the field for way too long. So for me, one of the big issues, I think, is Ben Matthew still hasn't proven to me he can win on the road. But and he I, slicked back his hair and everything. You know, you're not convinced <laughs> with the new look Ben McAdoo? No, if it's going to result in losses on the road, it's it doesn't matter if you're changing a new look. It's not resulting in wins. But last season, it, I'll read you off the, the road wins last year. At Dallas, week one versus Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, rookie QB, rookie running back, both in their first game, rookie offense, and a giant squeaked by on that win, barely. They beat the Los Angeles Rams. Technically, though, that game was in London. That's even more of a road game for Los Angeles than it is for the Giants at that point. They beat the Cleveland Browns last season. Congratulations, everybody, but the Chargers did that. <laughs> then Washington in Week 17, which is pretty much the surprise win of them all, when the Giants already made the playoffs, and Washington just had a win to get into the playoffs, but the team just completely fell apart in that game and this year you're already 0-2 on the road it doesn't get easier for the Giants in no way shape or form when you're talking about you're still going to have to play games that are versus the Chiefs the Broncos the Raiders the entire AFC West these are going to be extremely challenging games for the Giants further on and it's you're talking about also games that are going to have to travel far on the road for there's a lot of issues with me on this offense. Ben McAdoo's been taking the coaching on it, but the offense has been a mess. Then you miss it, they still can't win on the road. And surprisingly, the defense hasn't been there. The Giants are allowing 153 rushing yards per game. That's not a recipe for success, obviously, and I don't think this is what Giants fans were expecting from the defense. Last season, the Giants defense really struggled to get to the quarterback in those first couple games. And really being able to hit and sat the quarterback, they were able to fix that and turned out to be one of the best defenses in the league. This year, just rushing is an entire fault for this team. I mean, this is just the Giants being, I feel like, completely lat coaching at the moment. And you're just falling off from what you can do. Well, I've never been a big supporter of Ben McAdoo. I really thought when they hired him... It was a missed opportunity to bring in a new voice. I always feel like the Giants needed that fresh voice, not someone who was their offensive coordinator, not someone who was their defensive coordinator last year, not somebody who was mopping the floor last year in the locker room. They needed somebody brand new to come in here and just change things around. They didn't do that. They went out and got Ben McAdoo. Now all of a sudden Ben McAdoo makes the playoffs in his first year, and now he goes from high on Ben McAdoo to new playbook who this with his gelled back hair, his fancy sunglasses, Terminator look. It's not fooling anybody. It's still the same Ben McAdoo. And it, it really bothers me because, like you said, the defense hasn't even been that good. But 
I mean, a perfect example is week one. How long was that defense on the field against the Dallas Cowboys? I don't care how good you are. If you're overtiring your defense and your defense is out there more than you have possession of the ball, your defense is going to break down sooner rather than later. And it's like you said, it doesn't get any easier for the Giants. So going into this game against the Eagles last Sunday, like a lot of people were saying it, you don't want to say it's must win because it's week three, but it kind of was must win for the Giants because not only that, but I'm sorry to break it to people, but the NFC East might be one of the better divisions in football where all four teams going into the season have a chance. So now you're talking about being 0-3. Cowboys are 2-1. The Eagles are 2-1. Washington is 2-1. And and now you're 0-3. I'm sorry, but I know it's only three games in, but there's a big difference between being 2-1 and and 0-3 and and then having some teams be 2-1 and and you and the Eagles being 1-2. You don't want to fall behind too early when it comes to facing division opponents. They already lost one game to the Cowboys, one game to the Eagles, now making those next games against them a must-win for the Giants on top of all those other tough games they have to play, this is a really bad start. And I know it's, again, only the start of the season, but it may be doomsday for the Giants already in 2017. Yeah, you know, it's always one of those strange sentences. You never want to be the guy that replaces the guy. You want to be the guy that replaces the guy that replaced the guy. But for Ben Matthew, he came in for Tom Coughlin, and everybody knows Tom Coughlin, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Terrific success with the New York Giants. I'm not going to go too far into the long resume for Tom Coughlin. Most people obviously know it. Uh, but you're talking about, again, Ben Matthew really hasn't figured out his system of coaching yet. And I think it's definitely showing, especially in its second year, more towards this defense when it comes to trying to stop the rush, when it comes to now being on the field, as you mentioned, so much. And the offense still hasn't figured it out after when he was the offensive coordinator. The Giants had so much success, but these last two years, they can't find anything going offensively. And it just doesn't truly make sense in the end. I want to ask you a question, Jose, because you brought it up, the run game. The Giants, even though they can't stop the run, the Giants can't get the run going, as you mentioned. They're 32nd in the NFL in rushing. And, you know, is it time to consider trying to make a trade and acquire a running back? Just to name a few different names. Adrian Peterson, Mark Ingram, Duke Johnson, Isaiah Crowell, or even Carlos Hyde. Like, should the Giants be considering an alternative solution than Paul Perkins, who has been a complete miss this season for the Giants? And, the run game just hasn't been there yet. Yeah, well, I think Paul Perkins, number one, to me, I look at Paul Perkins, and he's still young, so he has time to turn it around. But for right now, Paul Perkins is a backup. And when you ask a backup to do a starting running back's work, it's not going to work out for you. I'm sorry. Paul Perkins is capable of handling the run game, yes, but he's not an every-down back. So that's why you're seeing so much struggling from him. And again, Dark was the same thing. I look at him, and I see a backup running back trying to do uh, every down running back's job. Now, yes, there are running backs out there. I think it's a little bit too early to try and trade for running back, especially because what is it going to cost you? And again, it really depends if the Giants really think they can turn the season around. If you could turn the season around, sure, go out there and get a running back. But I don't want to see Adrian Peterson here. I'd rather him go after a guy like Mark Ingram. But, you know, for the Giants, one, what is it going to cost you? And two, what about Shane Vereen as well? I'm not saying he's going to be the answer to all your problems, but start mixing it up a little bit. Give other guys a chance. See who catches fire first 
in the meantime, because you do have Vereen down there on the bench really not doing anything. Might as well include him into the mix as well, too. Yeah, Vereen, one of the more pass-catching, successful running bats we saw definitely with New England. I think his big issue, though, he's never been able to stay healthy with the New York Giants since the Giants signed him. And, I, you know, something's got to start working for this team, and something really has to start clicking. And it really just seems that the Giants only rely on one thing when it comes offensively, and that's Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, it's just that's their only offensive weapon. That's their only offensive piece. And we saw the Giants, especially the Eagles game, which has lasted in our mind since it only happened on Sunday, three quarters, Giants couldn't get anything going. Just absolutely nothing. And it made you, as the Giants, not believe in this team at all. And then all of a sudden, the fourth quarter happens, and it's like, you know, we're getting back on track. The offense looks great. Odell is bringing this team into charge. And he scores a touchdown, and he does almost like the dog steps, and then his leg up, and it's always been those Odell Beckham Jr. Amps. And co-owner John Mara says he's very unhappy with Odell, his behavior. He wants to address the issue internally. It, it seems like this is always the case with Odell. You love the talent. You love the player. He's your, the Giants' uh, entire offense. He could be the best wide receiver in all of football. But it's these these on-field habits that are really always connected with Odell. Yeah, I mean, again, Odell Beckham, to me, clearly one of the top five receivers in the league. He could be number one if I think he was, he was a little more focused. Um, and again, you know, he's still young, so you cut him some slack a little bit. But at the end of the day, he is the number one receiver. He needs to start acting like it. But also for the Giants, you need to be able to utilize other weapons too. You know, I was happy to see one positive from the game on, on Sunday. It's a shame because the way they lost that game, the offense did make a lot of strides late in the fourth quarter. You know, Brandon Marshall was really involved in that game. It was good to see him making a couple catches, getting involved in the offense. He didn't look too stressed out. Sterling Shepard made a lot of nice catches. Ingram continues to look impressive through three weeks of the season. Odell looked good. He looked healthy in that game. But all of that gets lost because of the Giants losing. But the Giants need to include other guys besides Odell because I'm sorry. Yeah, they can't double-team him anymore because you have four good wide receivers for Eli Manning to throw to. But they're still going to put their best corner on Odell Beckham. And there's going to be times where he's going to get shut down, whether he's facing Josh Norman or if he's facing somebody else on another team and he's facing their top corner. It's going to happen. He's going to get shut down a couple of times, and the Giants need to find other ways to score, And whether that's passing it to somebody else or, like you said, or like we keep saying, starting up the run game. And, again, the Giants, their own three. As you mentioned earlier, the NFC East, each team is 2-1 and one between the Cowboys, Eagles, and the Redskins. Giants already 0-2 against the NFC East division. Jose, can the Giants bounce back and really make a run at this NFC East division? Well, honestly, I would say no, but they haven't faced Washington yet. And for some reason, I just, you know, there's some glimmer of hope where if they're able to beat Washington in their first meeting, and don't get me wrong, it has to start now. I mean, if the Giants lose their next game, I mean, if, if they lose the next two out of the next three, obviously it's going to be very tough for them to mount a comeback. But let's say if they win this week, which they should, win this week and they beat Washington in their first meeting and if they come around and maybe get something going the Giants do have a shot again this team is too talented there should really be no excuses so I do give the Giants just a slight a slight glimmer of hope 
but it all starts with this week. And I don't want to rely it on this week, this week's game. But if the Giants lose this week, you can really kiss it goodbye. Again, four of their final sits NFL games are going to be against the NFC East division at that point. There's certainly a lot of tough teams that they're going to have to face beforehand. Kansas City, Denver, Seattle really stand out in that factor as well. You still have Oakland later on towards the end of the season, beginning of December. It's tough right now for the New York Giants. After an 0-3 start, they're going to have to play extremely well against Tampa Bay in Tampa. And we'll certainly talk about that more when we get towards the Week 4 predictions part of the podcast. But I want to also talk about last night's game between the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay Packers beating the Bears 35-14. to And I want to start with the Bears. Bears quickly fell behind 14-0 after the first quarter, really in first couple minutes of this football game. Packers scored an early touchdown. One play in. Mike Glennon fumbled. It'd be his first turnover. Four of them in the game. Two interceptions, two fumbles. And two of the fumbles occurring in the first two possessions for the Bears. Glennon, this is to me is the weirdest stat of them all. In week three against the Steelers, picking up the win. Only targeted his wide receivers four times, throwing just one completion to them. And throughout this entire football game on Thursday night, all we would hear was the announcers and the broadcasters and other members covering the game just constantly saying, could we see Mitchell Trubisky in this game because of gone in struggles? Jose, the Bears have 11 days off before taking on the Vikings on Monday night. So they're going to have plenty of time. Could we see a QB change in Chicago? Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. I would, if not the Chicago Bears. I actually give the Bears credit for not putting Trubisky into that game. Because, honestly, that game itself was a mess. I mean, you had to delay with the thunder and the lightning. And, you know, on top of that, you don't want to bring Trubisky in a game that's a mess like that. So you're already down, what, was it 35-7 at one point? I mean, you don't want to bring Trubisky into a game like that. I'd rather have him start a game. Next Monday, the Bears should be starting Trubisky underneath center. He should be the starting QB. Mike Lennon is atrocious. You don't turn the ball over four times to a defense that's not even that good in the Green Bay Packers. It's time to change the culture in Chicago, and it starts with Trubisky starting on Monday night. You know, I'm I'm not completely sold on that. I, I really like to see the... Bears take the Los Angeles Rams approach when it came to Jared Goff and just give him a clipboard. And I know it's a great conversation that the analysts were talking about throughout the entire game. And really, it's the only thing you can talk about when the fact that the Bears are being so terrible in that football game. Injuries are happening constantly in that game. There's a 47-minute rain, really thunder delay during the game. Does it benefit you, at the end of the day, to start Mitchell Trubisky? The Bears are going nowhere. No one's expecting them to win this season. On top of that, their top wide receiver, Cameron Meredith, he's out for the year. Their second best wide receiver, Kevin White, he's out for the year. The running back, you get two-headed monster out of Cohen and Jordan Howard, which is great, but... It really just means that when you put a rookie under center at that point, they're really going to stat the bots in front of you. It causes a lot of havoc. And I think on top of that, when you look at the schedule, 
yeah, you have 11 days you could possibly prep around for the Vikings game. But you're going to play Minnesota. Then you're going to play Baltimore. And then you're going to play Carolina. We're not talking about easy teams for a rookie quarterback mid four weeks into a season to then take over the job versus those type of defenses. Again, to me, it doesn't say a recipe for success. You already have Glennon for three years, so it's not like you need the immediate changeover switch. I, I don't... I, it's not that I say I don't understand why people would want it. I, of course, Trubisky is the future. He's the better quarterback. That's not really a question to me. But it's, are you putting him in the right position to succeed at this point? I mean, the Bears aren't going anywhere, like you said. So that's why, to me, it is a perfect time to put him in. Because even if he makes mistakes, it's not going to cause the Bears to lose out in a playoff spot or whatever. If it succeeds even better, you let him learn as he plays. And yeah, he's going to face some tough defenses, but I'd rather have him go against tough competition than easy ones to gas up this kid. I want this kid to know what it's going to feel like when he's taking on teams like the Packers, the Lions, the Vikings in the future when it, when these games do matter for the Chicago Bears. And again, you don't trade up that high. My bad. You don't trade up one spot to go and get a guy like Trubisky and sign Glennon for three years. To me, that's the Bears' fault right there. That's some miscommunication in the front office from what I see because Again, you don't sign a stopgap like Lennon for three years and then go draft a guy like Trubisky. That, to me, makes no sense because Glennon is not going to sit on the bench for two years after this. Trubisky's not going to be sitting on the bench for three years while Glennon goes out there and throws the ball to everybody but his own receivers. Honestly, you can learn by holding a clipboard. You can also learn by playing the game. And to me, it, holding a clipboard makes no difference than playing the game. Trubisky needs to be starting. Uh, I think he'll be just fine. You know, If he doesn't succeed... He takes what he learns. He learns from his flaws. He learns from his mistakes. And he comes back next year even better. I mean, there's no guarantee that holding a clipboard guarantees success either. I mean, you can argue, yeah, it worked for Jared Goff. But really, to me, the reason why Jared Goff is having a fantastic year is because they fired the head coach last year and they brought, a, they brought in an offensive-minded head coach for the Rams. That's why Jared Goff is going off this year. But that, to me, is a perfect example. So if John Fox isn't the choice for the Chicago Bears when it comes to Mitchell Trubisky, then you want to get the right coach involved. I'm not well, saying... Then but you got to find that out, though, if John Fox and Trubisky can work together on a game plan. 100%, but the pieces. If we're comparing Jared Goff and Mitchell Trubisky, if Goff played last season, Todd Gurley was doing terrible, the team was bad, the best wide receiver on the team was Kenny Britt. This year, you look at the team now. The Rams have Todd Gurley's playing great. Sammy Watkins at wide receiver. Robert Woods at wide receiver. Cup at wide, Coop at wide receiver. Who's a young rookie now. They made the moves to give golf the right pieces. And I think now if you bring them in, in Trubitsky in with the Bears... You don't have the right pieces. You have nobody on your team. Kendall Wright is your top wide receiver. And he did have a touchdown and everything. But you're talking about Glennon. It's not that he's not trying to target his wide receivers. Who can he target? He only targeted him four times against the Steelers. It's a run-first team that Trubisky would mainly be handing the ball off most of the plays anyway. But as when he drops back to throw, he has no receivers. 
He's going to be targeting Zach Miller consistently throughout a football game, mostly. And it's just, to me, again, I, it doesn't spell recipe for success. I think it just, I think it could be just disaster at that point. And I think it's the safer route to just keep him on the side, watch him learn from a lot of mistakes, from plenty of, plenty and plenty of mistakes. Learn from that, because that's what you're mainly going to be seeing a ton of mistakes from Glennon. Uh, but just putting him out on the field, I don't think, is the right move for the Bears. And if it is, do it when you're playing the Saints four weeks from now. They play the Saints, they have a bye week, and then they play the Packers. That, to me, is when you... If you're going to see Trubitsky, that's the point where you're going to see him. When he plays against the Saints, weaker defense than the three previous, and then you say, okay, we have a bye week, now we're going to show you all the the stuff that you can learn from playing against the Saints. Now we're going to show you the tape of what we did when we played against the Packers on Thursday Night Football, and now you're going to play the Packers in a big divisional game, like you said, in coming into that matchup. I think that's the closest we see him, but I really don't want to even see him then. I'd rather still see him hold a clipboard, because at the end of the day, it's your second pick in a draft, your future of your team. Could have been third pick in the draft, but second pick in the draft... Don't throw it down the tube a little bit too early. Just hold off a year, and you still will have a top draft pick for the 2018 draft. On the flip side, the Packers. 3-1 and one to start the season. Played extremely well in the game. But I think one thing that's standing out for the Packers is, I mean, who's left standing at this point? Entering the game, five offensive linemen weren't going to play because of injuries. Multiple starters were out. Jordy Nelson, we already heard, were a couple banged up in that first game of the season. and He's obviously better now, but yesterday, multiple big-name injuries for the Packers. Devontae Adams took a wicked scary hit on a play that should never... It looked like Devontae Bursef was in the play at, at that moment. As he took, and Adams, a concussion at the moment but could have been a much serious injury because it looked like it could have been a neck injury at that point. Ty Montgomery, the starting running back, has broken ribs. The backup running back, Jamal Williams, he left the game early. The Packers have 10 days to recover, but this is a team that we're talking about very good to start off the season, but some serious injuries for this Green Bay team. Yeah, it's a little nerve-wracking when you think about it. I mean, you know, last week we played that game of chill, panic, or concern. And, you know, and when it came to the Packers, I said chill because, you know, it's Aaron Rodgers, you know, and you don't doubt Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. But when you start taking away his weapons, and especially when you start taking away the offensive line, I mean, you're talking about the, the, the part of the team that really gives Rodgers the time to be Aaron Rodgers and set himself up for success. I mean, when offensive linemen start going down at any team, it's a serious issue because, you know, you're talking about guys getting in there that don't always take the reps with the full practice squad. And, you know, a lot of people like to doubt offensive linemen, but there's a, there's a certain sort of chemistry that comes with being an offensive lineman, knowing who's next to you, who's to your right, who's to your left, who do I need to help out a little bit more, who's good on their own, who can handle the other defensive player on the other on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And it's like they say, they call it the trenches for a reason. You're in the trenches with your guys. You know who you're with. Uh, you know, a lot of the time you start swapping guys in and out. It's not the same chemistry. It's not the same effectiveness for an offensive line. I know it sounds silly, 
but it's true. I mean, think about why the Dallas Cowboys are so successful because that offensive line is so healthy. They're together almost every single game, and those guys know each other like the back of their own hand. So when you start swapping guys in and out, not to mention Aaron Rodgers needs to be comfortable with these guys protecting him, you're not going to feel that comfortable when it's random guys coming in there that you've never really seen before or that you haven't really played with instead in the past couple of games. So the offensive line does worry me. Again, the Packers didn't really have a running game to begin with, even with Montgomery. Not a huge fan of him. So to see him out and then also his backup get hurt too, that concerns me. And Devontae Adams, again, really scary shot. The good news is that they did just get Randall Cobb back. So at least they have Cobb back in the mix there. So I'm not too worried about the wide receivers. So overall, I'm still not too worried because it's Aaron Rodgers. It's the Packers. You don't doubt them. But it does worry me a little bit that the fact that now you're talking about having the Packers be a one-dimensional team in the passing game, and you're talking about an offensive line that's not exactly healthy. Yeah, I mean, Devontae Adams, this guy that had 12 touchdowns last season, we saw he had a touchdown, the first touchdown of the football game in yesterday's game. He almost had a touchdown, it was called back, and then the very next play, he got injured. So, this is a big threat for Green Bay, and Ty Montgomery, like you said, not the greatest running backs, but one of the things that Montgomery is so effective for is receiving the ball. This is a guy that's averaging multiple receptions. In in the this season, 18 receptions coming into last night's game. You're talking about a guy, 23 targets through three football games he had. This is one of those guys that it's Rodgers' go-to. And it's really that check-down move to Ty Montgomery or that pass to Ty Montgomery is really where you see a lot of his yards. And it's almost the so-called rushing play for the Packers right now. I think what we can expect to see from if Ty Montgomery is hurt for a serious amount of time, of course, it's broken ribs and just is going to result in teams targeting that type of midsection for him during games when he does finally return is you're going to see Rodgers really scramble a lot more and go to that consistent moment where he does scramble and try to make plays outside the pocket for the team. And I think that's what you can expect over these next couple of weeks because of the fact of Ty Montgomery's injury. But for fantasy football owners, Aaron Jones, and he had a pretty good impressive game, 13 rushes, 49 yards, and a touchdown. So for fantasy players... That's your waiver wire pickup right now. That's almost a must-add with Ty Montgomery injured at the moment. But certainly a lot of concern when it comes to injuries for the Green Bay Packers. Sticking with the NFC North division. Vikings and Lions, they play each other this weekend. But Jose, the Vikings it's really are surprising and impressive through these first three games. Third in yards per game. Third in passing yards per game. And it really doesn't seem to matter who's throwing the ball at a Case Keenum or Sam Bradford. The Vikings are just showing plenty of success right now. Yeah, they've been a little bit surprising, but I still am a little bit concerned about them because Casey Keenum can only hold up for so long. And, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Sam Bradford, but Sam Bradford looked good within the first two weeks of the season. Now that he's missing some time, uh, you know, it, it does concern me a little bit to not have your guy out there in Sam Bradford. You want your number one QB out there enjoying this team's success. And I don't have a lot of faith in the Vikings, honestly. Why? Because I've seen this story last year. They, what, they start the year 5-0 and and finish the year almost 8-8. and I mean, this team always looks good to start the year, but how are they going to finish is the question. And again, 
I'm not going to jump out of my, my, my shoes here and be like, oh, the Vikings, I'm all in on them because I feel like I've seen this story before. They have to show me something when it comes to the second half of the season. You know, I, I'm the opposite on that. I, I'm, I'm very much buying into this Minnesota Viking team. and This is a much different style than we saw last year from the Vikings. Last year we saw a team, no offense. Absolutely no offense. They'd win games 21 to like 17, and two of their touchdowns came because one of them was an interception or a fumble return for a touchdown, and the other one was a punt return for a touchdown. It was mainly defense and special teams that was winning games for Minnesota, and that was a big part of why they started 5-0. and But Davin Cook, he's averaging 96 yards per game rushing. Adam Thion. He's averaging 99 receiving yards per game. Stefan Dids is averaging 97 receiving yards per game. This is a very impressive squad offensively that has a lot of pieces around them. And I think that's a big reason why we're seeing Case Keenum and Sam Bradford have some great success behind them because of their pieces, of especially Davin Cook. And for the Lions, they lost their... First game to the three and Falcons. The Lions almost won the game. A throw to Golden Tate reviewed, called not a touchdown, and a ten second runoff. I mean, talk about the worst way to end a football game. A ten second runoff after you think you've just taken the lead in a football game on a touchdown, but it's reversed the call, and that's how it ends. But for the Lions, this is an interesting stat for me. 14 takeaways in 16 games last season. Detroit already has 8 takeaways this season. The defense for the Lions, uh, complete different people between this year and last year. So, Jose, what's your take on Detroit to start off the year? Well, see, I buy into Detroit more than I do the Vikings. I think Matthew Stafford is still a phenomenal quarterback, very underrated uh, QB in my eyes. The defense has been fantastic for the Lions. The only flaw, and it's a very small one, is the running game for the Lions. I think Abdullah is starting to pick it up a little bit. But if you're talking about a team that could use a trade for running back, I'm going to Detroit Lions. And if I'm the Lions, I'm calling the New Orleans Saints, and I'm asking if Mark Ingram is available. Or I'm asking if anybody's available on any other team. Again, Abdullah is a good running back. He's starting to pick it up. But if the Lions can improve anywhere, it's at the running back position. But I'm highly confident in the Detroit Lions. Again, as you said, they already have half the amount of takeaways that they had last year. Matthew Stafford, to me, is a top 10 QB, maybe top 5. I would really think about it, but I wouldn't hesitate to throw Stafford in that conversation, too. I think the Lions are taking a giant step forward this year, and especially when the Packers are as banged up as they are, this could be a good opportunity for the Lions to take a giant step forward and maybe potentially win the NFC North. Packers 3-1, and one, Lions and Vikings both 2-1. and Jose... It looks like the AFC West could be the most dominant division in the NFL with the Raiders, Broncos, and Chiefs, and Chiefs still one of the two teams undefeated at the moment. But the NFC North, it really has surprised me, certainly, but it's looking like one of the toughest divisions in the NFC. Yeah, to me, I'm still going to roll with the AFC West. When it comes to a more dominant division, only because if I look at those four teams, you know, the Raiders, the Chiefs, the Broncos have the ability to really win any division when it's all said and done. 
if they weren't in any other division. And you look at the Chargers, the Chargers are actually still pretty competitive too. Again, they just play in a really tough division between those other three teams. The Chargers aren't going to be able to breathe. When I look at the NFC North, I see a team like the Packers, the Lions, and the Vikings that I can't say are the best teams in a lot of other divisions. And when I look at the Bears, I see a really weak team that these teams are allowed to beat up on. So just because of that alone, I still give the edge to the AFC West. Um, but I will say that the NFC North is probably the best division in the NFC, hands down. Yeah, I'm I'm in complete agreement with that. I'm not going to say that they're the best division in the NFL. Certainly think that the AFC West as well as the best divi- division by far. But I mean, it's tougher to pitch a division right now that looks as impressive as the NFC North in the NFC. Certainly, the West doesn't match up. The South has some weak points as well. The Panthers really don't look like that strong of a team. And and the East would possibly be the next closest thing to it. But a lot of those teams haven't really played each other. And we haven't seen much from a few of the teams like the New York Giants. And there's still a few more question marks when it comes to the NFC East. But the NFC North, I mean, I'm really enjoying watching the Lions play defense. The Vikings offense looks very impressive. And I mean, the Packers, if they can stay healthy, they look like one of the better teams in the NFC as well. And it's really going against my prediction in the season when I said no team was going to finish 8-8 eight and eight or better in that division. It's certainly going to look like the opposite towards the end at this rate. Sticking with the NFC, though. We did... Jose, you mentioned that we did play in the last podcast, Chill panic or you know concern in your mind but one of the teams that we hit both the panic button on was the Seattle Seahawks the defense is allowing 146 rushing yards per game the Seahawks offense finally seemed to have gotten a little bit kick-started in the second half of the Tennessee Titans game they put up three touchdowns in that second half although they still lost the football game but Jose the Seahawks they're in an interesting matchup because they're facing the Indianapolis Colts in Seattle. And this is sort of the kind of matchup that Seattle really needs to have in order to get their run defense back in order. Well, yeah, I mean, you're facing a team that has very little run game to begin with. Um, and honestly, if the Colts go out there and rush for over 100 yards on you, the Seahawks really need to go back to the drawing board to figure some things out because it just can't happen. Um, when it comes to the Seahawks, though, the defense is not really what concerns me. Yes, I mean, they are giving up a lot of rushing yards, but I think in time they'll figure it out and they'll get back on track. It's really the offense that concerns me. Jimmy Graham has been abysmal. He's been non-existent. Russell Wilson doesn't really have a lot of wide receivers to throw to to begin with. Uh, the run game is not there. Ed Lacy has done nothing. Rawls is still a little bit banged up. And really, Russell Wilson, when you have a talented QB like Wilson, you know, he really has nothing to do. Yeah, you can still run with the ball. But you're also not a big fan of Wilson running with the ball the entire game. He really doesn't have any flexibility when it comes to that offense, which is what really, really, really makes me hit the panic button on the Seahawks. You know, I'm, I'm almost tempted to hit stay away from the panic button right now when it comes to Seattle. They played in, you know, Did I expect them to lose to Tennessee? Yes. Did I expect them, Russell Wilson to throw up four touchdowns and throw 370 yards? No. I expected a better defensive game from Tennessee, and I got a better offensive game from Seattle. So I think that's what really is one of those markers. Like you said, the run game still is a question mark when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks. Chris Carson, I don't really believe in. They got plenty of running bats. 
but none of them seem to really be able to push through each other. But this is the right matchup to have. You're versus the Indianapolis Colts. Jacob Brissett, he actually looked very well against the Arizona Cardinals. He looked even better against the Cleveland Browns. That's obvious, though. But you're versing Frank Gore. You should be able to stop the run. If you can't, then we have a major problem when it comes to Seattle. If you can't stop Frank Gore, who's got to be, what, nearly 40 now at this point? <laughs> it seems like he's been doing it for forever. So I, I like this matchup for Seattle. I think this comes at the perfect time. You're two, uh, one and two on the season. You can get back to 500. You get a win at home. You, you really get that matchup you need. And I think this is a, a chance where Seattle can really take advantage of Indianapolis, really get their confidence going with a blowout win, and, and show, I think, the rest of the NFL that they're still one of the top dogs easily in just dominating of the Indianapolis Colts. Before we go into our Week 4 matchups and give our predictions on the week, I want to talk about one of the most, if not the most, talked about topic in the NFL this week, and that's players kneeling for the National Anthem. And this started a year ago with Colin Kaepernick starting the protest, originally sitting and then switching it to kneeling during the National Anthem to protest for equality. And some players did join Colin Kaepernick on it, and others didn't. Kaepernick now is an unsigned free agent who pretty much in the simplest words, has been blackballed by 32 NFL owners where he could easily be, if not starting for certain teams, is easily the best backup on other teams. So this is a guy that should be on a team, is not. And then you had the entire unity from the NFL. President Trump made uh, certain sentences about players kneeling during the anthem and that they should be fired going into other words of calling them. And the players and teams and owners, staff, all united. Either standing, linking arms, sitting aside, some players still kneeling. So, Jose, to start with you, what's your take on the protest of the National Anthem, especially from week three, with really the entire NFL uniting on this? Well, I think it was actually nice to see the entire NFL coming together. Um, and whether it was kneeling or whether it was locking arms, I mean, you really saw, you know, one man's comments really cause a ripple effect throughout the entire league. And it was nice to see people come together and not just brush it off. At the end of the day, a lot of people like to say, stick to sports, you know, do your job. But at the end of the day, we forget that these sports, these athletes, these guys are also human beings too. So when you say something that targets their livelihood, when you say something that insults them, it, it hurts them just like a regular human being does as well as well. Uh, on top of that fact, I have no problem with them kneeling. I have no problem with them linking arms. At the end of the day, it's in the Constitution that somebody has a, uh, a right to protest. They have a right to freedom of speech. So, you know, they have the right to do what they want to do. Also, like, just like people have the right to stand, uh, people have the right to kneel as well, too. As you said, um, some players kneeled, some teams linked arms. I have no issue with either, too. Um, I will say, Sean McCoy, who was stretching during the National Anthem, I thought that was a little bit too much. Um, you should at least give some sort of attention to the national anthem, whether you're kneeling, standing with linked arms, or just standing and pledging with your arm over your heart. I thought the stretching was a little bit too far by LaShawn McCoy. But nonetheless, again, it's in the Constitution. I have no problem with it. You have the right to protest. And one thing I will say is for the teams that didn't show up, so 
the Titans decided to stay in the locker room, the Seahawks decided to stay in the locker room, and the Steelers did. I'm okay with that if it was a group decision, if they all agreed and said, hey, we don't want to go out there, fine, don't come out of the locker room. But the scene that you saw with the Pittsburgh Steelers kind of bothered me a little bit, where you had Villanueva outside of the tunnel by himself, pledging with his hand over his heart. Obviously, he's a veteran uh, Army Ranger. Again, even though I agree with the right to kneel, you also have the right to stand as well, too. So for the Pittsburgh Steelers, it didn't sound it didn't sound like the entire team agreed to stay in the locker room. So if I'm the Steelers, if it wasn't a 100% decision to stay in the locker room, let them go out there, let them do what they want to do. You want to stand, you stand. You want to kneel, you kneel. Whatever way you want to show what you're standing for, you go out there and do that. But again, I did feel a little bit bad for Villanueva that he was out there by himself, really with no one else standing beside him, whether it's sta- whether it was standing up with him or kneeling if they wanted to kneel. Yeah, when it came to Villanueva, it was really supposed to be the team captains for the Steelers were supposed to go out there with him, but they got blocked off in, uh, and in, they weren't able to get to that him in time, so it was just him standing out there at that point. I think in the further background, you can see some of the Steelers as well, but yeah, again, it's team decision at the end of the day. It's nice, and I think it was more... Oh, especially for week three, we saw a lot of the NFL just sticking with unity, sticking with the idea that, hey, the our players and ourselves have freedom of speech, as does everybody who lives in the United States. We have freedom of speech, and we're going to use it at the end of the day, and you can't tell us not to, whoever you are. And I think that's what the NFL really stuck by for when it came to week three, and we saw the entire team players, owners, coaches, all unite on that. But it wasn't uniting with what Colin Kaepernick originally did on trying to protest for equality. And I think that's one of those moments of missing it on it. At the end of the day, I I am for for players protesting. I am for players kneeling. I am for the idea of them trying to get a message of equality around there's going to have to come a point where the NFL is going to have to figure something around this because if for some reason, and there's a high possibility of it, that ratings are down because of the anthem protesting and because of certain things going around, certainly the NFL is going to have to think of better ways when it comes to kneeling so that they don't lose too many fans in this moment. But at the end of the day, I think you could see different sports, even the NBA, taking an approach like this as well to start off the season because the end of it, their protest isn't wrong for equality. So, I'm again, I'm for it, and you hope the best from it. And at the end of the day, I think if the owners and the teams want to make a stand for unity, then Colin Kaepernick should be signed somewhere right now. But again, I think there's too much of a... A panic for that moment. Well, again, we don't want to cover too much on the kneeling because we, both myself and Jose, really don't want to get too political when it comes to this. Both of us do share the same political views. And again, this is more of a sports podcast, not a uh, podcast on politics. Certainly there are plenty of those podcasts as well. and So we're going to mainly stick with sports, but again, it's just such a, a large topic at hand right now that it's 
it's a must talk about no matter what the sport pod what the sports show is about at the end of the day it, it is just too big of a topic not to talk about at the end but with that we're going to jump right into our week four predictions and breaking down a lot of the games and jose i want to start with the first game on sunday 9 30 a.m in london first what's your take on the london games before we go into the saints and the dolphins we saw the jacksville jaguars play the baltimore ravens we see the nfl trying to go towards london I think last year the Raiders played a preseason game uh, in Mexico, and that hasn't happened in a while. So, Jose, what is your take on the NFL trying to go beyond just playing in the United States? I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it's really cool. Anytime you talk about expanding the sport, it seems like London's into it too. You know, they show up whenever the games are over there, no matter who's playing. I just wish sometimes it was more exciting matchups. You know, if I'm going to wake up 9.30 in the morning for football, I want to see a good game. And this week's matchup, between the Saints and Dolphins, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really it doesn't make me want to set my alarm for 9.30 in the morning to try and get up. Last week, uh, you know, Jaguars and Ravens, I was a little bit excited for it. Ended up being a great game for the Jaguars, who there was rumors for so long that the Jaguars are going to become London's team. But, you know, they, they, that one was okay. But I think if, uh, if the NFL really wants to try and expand, they should really put some big games out there. And to me, Saints and Dolphins, I, again, I have no problem with them trying to expand. But to me, Saints and Dolphins doesn't scream, oh, let me set my alarm and make sure I get up early on Sunday morning. Uh, it should be a good offensive battle, maybe. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Saints-Dolphins, Saints picking up their first one of the season against the Carolina Panthers. And Saints allowed 512 yards per game in the first two games, but held the Panthers to 288. The Dolphins... Um, Got off to a good start, beating the Chargers after the week one bye, of course. And then throw a complete dud against the New York Jets. So, I'll say, who do you like in this matchup in London, which has no home field advantage for either team? I mean, I guess I'm going to go with the Dolphins on this one. I just really don't like the Saints defense. Um, you know, Drew Brees can throw all the touchdowns he wants, but if the Saints, if the Saints can't hold the lead, they can't hold the lead. I think, you know... The Dolphins do have some concerns. I know a J.E. is dealing with an ankle injury. Um, Jay Cutler is Jay Cutler at the end of the day. But if I have to choose one, again, this is like asking which foot do I want to be shot in by a rifle. Um, I guess I'm running I guess I'm running with the Dolphins on this one. You know, I'm going to take the Saints. And I really think they're coming off a great win against the Carolina Panthers. You have the Saints who will have a bye after this week while the Dolphins won't. But... You know, I think this is almost going to be one of those home field games for New Orleans. It's not going to be what it would be for them in a real home game, but I think for almost to say London's crowd, they typically see the Jacksonville Jaguars. With that, I think that's just going to be more considered of a rival for the Miami Dolphins for London. So I think you're going to see a lot of them try and be rooting for Drew Brees and the Saints. They want to see a lot of offense, especially after that 44 uh, point game by Jacksonville in London, and it's hard to like Jay Cutler in any situation. I think this is going to be, like you said, a little bit of a shootout offensively, but in shootout games offensively, that almost always favors the New Orleans Saints, and for me, I'm going to give it to Drew Brees and the Saints. I really like the fact that you could see them play well and 
when a guy like Matt Forte and Lyle Powell are getting rushing yards against the Miami Dolphins and you're seeing actual success passing the ball from the New York Jets, it should easily be success for Drew Brees, Mark Ingram, the Saints. Will Sneed is back after a three-game suspension. And Michael Thomas really had a very good first half, first drive, opening drive in that game against the Carolina Panthers. I think you did see the Saints go to that route again to win their football game. The Buffalo Bills and the Atlanta Falcons face off in Atlanta. Atlanta, one of the two undefeated teams left in the season. The Bills 2-1. and one. Coming off a win against the Denver Broncos. A little bit surprising on the fact that Buffalo was able to pull off the win in that one. So, Jose, who do you have in this matchup? I say give me the Falcons. I mean, this is almost a, a guarantee. I think they go 4-0. The Bills surprised me last week when they beat the Broncos. But I feel like the Bills are going to be that team that's very inconsistent all year long. This is a team that can really finish 8-8 and because they'll look good one week, they'll look bad the next. I just think the competition, the gap between these two teams is too far apart for the Bills and try and take on the Falcons. So just give me the Falcons in this one just to play it safe. Yeah, Buffalo allowed a season-high 366 yards in the win against the Broncos. It's the most yards allowed in a victory since 2015 for Buffalo. Uh you know, I expect Atlanta to be able to put off just as many yards, if not more, than what Denver was able to do. And Denver's not even as good offensively or nearly as good offensively as the Atlanta Falcons. And I think you should expect Atlanta to be able to win this game, even covering what's nearly a double-digit spread against the Buffalo Bills because of the fact that this is a home game for Atlanta. And Matt Ryan is always fantastic at home. Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns, both teams 0-3 to start off the season. It really seemed that almost both these teams could have gotten a win last week. Cleveland versus the Indianapolis Colts. Indianapolis was not playing good all for the first two weeks of the season. Cleveland might have even been considered a favorite playing Indianapolis, but wasn't able to pull through. And then you had Cincinnati jump out to a real early lead against the Green Bay Packers and just fell and wound up losing that game late in the football game as well. So Cincinnati in Cleveland. Jose, who's getting their first win of the season? Give me the Cleveland Browns, man. Only because I said they were going to go 8-8, eight and eight, and I realized when I do the math now, they probably have to go, what, 8-5 and five within their next 13 games to try and get there? Give me the Cleveland Browns. They get their first win. Cincinnati continues to fall apart. You know, I'm going to take the Cincinnati Bengals on this one. I think Andy Because you're a hater. You're a hater, man. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I, had, I almost expected Cincinnati to beat Green Bay last week. I, I kind of believed that Cincinnati was going to be able to beat Green Bay. And for Cincinnati to get out to that early lead against Green Bay, I think you can see Cincinnati try and do the same thing this week. And I think you're going to expect big numbers from Joe Mitson, who's finally starting to get a lot more touches in at running back. And of course, A.J. Green. I, I, Andy Dalton and A.J. Green against the division rival, it's almost just a unisect moment for the two of them. I think the Bengals get their first win of the season coming against the Cleveland Browns. Los Angeles Rams, Dallas Cowboys, both teams 2-1 and one on the year. It's in Dallas. Rams had a nice time off, 10 days off in their 41-39 to 39 win. 
while Dallas able to, after not doing anything in that first half against Monday Night Football around against the Arizona Cardinals, really playing great in that second half of the game. Jose, who do you have in this one? Yeah, give me the Cowboys for this one over the Rams. I mean, I mean the Cowboys really, um, in general, are the better team than the Rams. The Rams have played really good football as of late. Um, I expect Gurley to have another good game. But the Rams' defense, they gave up a bunch of points to the 49ers. How many do, they, how many do you think they're going to give up against the Cowboys? I mean, come on. Yeah, Dallas is 2-1 and one through three games for the seventh consecutive season. And the Cowboys have won their last eight regular season home games dating back from week three of last year. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me you know, Dallas fell behind early in yesterday in that Monday night game against the Arizona Cardinals, but in the game, 13 of 18. We didn't see 50 throws by Dak Prescott. We didn't see nearly 40 throws by Prescott like we saw against the Giants in Denver. We saw less than 20, which is almost sort of the number we want to see from Dak Prescott in that 25 to 30 range. And when Elliott runs it, for, I think, 20 to 25 times in a football game minimum, the Cowboys are 12-2 and two in those games. So I think they're just going to go with the recipe of success, run the ball a lot. It should be a great running game between Gurley and Elliott, but at the end of the day, I'm giving it to the Dallas Cowboys, who have just been always so impressive at home for the last year and a half. We spoke about the NFC North earlier in the podcast Detroit Lions two and one, Minnesota Vikings two and one. Who do you have in this one? Uh, I'm gonna say give me the Lions over the Vikings again. At Matthew Stafford over Casey Keenum, I think that choice is obvious. Uh, and again, I think the Lions are just, you know, it's gonna be a game against two good defenses when it comes to Lions and Vikings. But this one to me comes down to QB play, and I think Stafford's the better QB. Detroit is 3-3 three and three in their last six road games against the Vikings. and That's an impressive number when you're talking about having to play in Minnesota. I'm a big f- fan of the idea of something's got to give in this moment between the Vikings, who have had some great offense through their first three weeks, and the Detroit Lions, who are playing some great defense. I'm going to take the Lions in this one. I-, I think Matthew Stafford just has a better game than his last week performance of only having one touchdown and just falling short of the Atlanta Falcons in that game. And I think you're not going to see the Lions lose back-to-back road games in that fashion. Carolina Panthers versus the New England Patriots, both teams 2-1 and one on the season. New England, a 10.5-point favorite at home in this football game. So, Jose, who do you have in this one as well? Well, there's not much up for debate. It's the New England Patriots in this one. Why? Well, Kelvin Benjamin came out of last week's game. Looks like he might be out again. He's still questionable for this week, I believe. Greg Olson's not there. Cam Newton doesn't look healthy. And really, he has no more targets to throw to, even if Cam Newton is there. So, to me, I think the Patriots win this one because I'm not sure if the entire Panthers team is even going to be able to show up that day. Yeah, the Panthers lost 34-13 to against the New Orleans Saints. They really struggled in that one. Could not find... It going offensively against the Saints of all teams who are terrible at defense. And you looked at the last two weeks against Buffalo, 9-3 to win, 34-13 to loss against the Saints. They're not getting offensive at all, Carolina. Cam Newton has not looked like himself since his MVP season at all. 
I think this should be an easy win for the New England Patriots who have all the momentum in the world going into this game, while Carolina should have no momentum going into New England. And I even think New England's going to cover this 10.5 point spread, and it could even be considered higher when you're talking about two teams that are 2-1, and one, but on how bad the Panthers have looked through those first three games. And really, again, when we had our last podcast episode, we were talking about it. The Panthers were 2-0, and but we both considered them as that team that's not really 2-0, and and they certainly showed us why in that loss against New Orleans. The Jacksonville Jaguars, surprisingly, are 2-1 and to start off the year, while the New York Jets, surprisingly, are 1-2 and to start off the season as well. So both teams, I think, are off to a better start than most people expected. Jets are home in this one after the Jaguars are going to have to be traveling back from London to face the Jets. Jose, who do you have in this one? Give me the Jaguars, even though they have to travel all the way back uh, from London. I think the Jaguars really did show me something against a Ravens team that isn't exactly slouches on the offensive side of the ball. They held them to seven points. I mean, and the defense really looked good for the Jaguars. It looks like the defense for the Jaguars is what we thought it was going to be last year. Now they're starting to show up. Again, last year they drafted Jalen Ramsey, and we expected the defense to be a lot better. Now the Jaguars do, do still have some concern on offense, again, especially without Allen Robinson. They're really going to rely a lot on Leonard Fournette, but Fournette has looked really, really good so far in his first couple of games in the NFL. And I think that defense is just not going to allow the Jets to really do anything on the offensive side of the ball, especially when Josh McCowan is still starting. Say it with me, J-E-T-S. <laughs> No, I I have the Jets in this one. I think what, Jets. They have, win one game and you're hopping on the bandwagon already. I don't understand. Hopping on the bandwagon for sure. The Jets have won each of their last three games against the Jaguars since 2011, and I, you know this is another one of those games where it's a tough moment for the Baltimore, uh, not for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are coming off a huge win against the Baltimore Ravens in London, having to travel back to New York. It's a little bit closer than having to go to Jacksonville, but Josh Patown, Matt Forte might not play in this one. Just means more touches for Bilal Powell, who I think is better at running the football than Matt Forte at the moment. And I think you just saw a little bit of everything go together for the Jets. They're looking at the schedule. They got Jacksonville this week, Cleveland next week, and I think the team is saying to themselves, hey, we could go over 500 right now over these next two weeks. I really like the Jets' chances in this one, and I have the Jets beating the Jacksonville Jaguars. What, not a fan of the bad winded? No, not really. I mean, it's only one game, and they probably shouldn't have even won that game last week. They dominated that game last week. I know. I mean, that's it's pretty scary. I don't know what to expect anymore. Staying with the New York teams, the New York Giants versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa. Giants have won their last five games against the Buccaneers. They're 14 and sits all time against the Buccaneers. But Giants, they are 0 3 on the season and have dropped their first four games on the previous occasions all time when they start off 0 3. So something's got to give in this one. Do the Giants finally get their first win against Tampa? You know, I think I'm actually going to roll with the Buccaneers on this one, and it hurts to say that. But, you know, I think this defense has not lived up to the hype yet for the Giants because they're so tired out. 
I think that's not going to change here in week four. I think both Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans are going to be too much for them to handle. Not to mention they haven't been able to solve the running game. And yes, Doug Martin's not playing for the Buccaneers, but Rodgers has looked really good as his backup and getting a bulk of the carries too as well too. So I think he's going to be able to take on the Giants defense pretty much pretty easily. Um, for the Giants, they have a chance to win. I'm not saying it's a complete foregone conclusion that they'll lose, but I'm going to give it to the Bucks. I mean, they're just a better team right now in general over the Giants. You know, one of the things that really stood out in that Buccaneers loss to the Minnesota Vikings is how many big plays the Vikings were able to put on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A 40-yard pass, a 50-yard pass, a 30-yard run, just constantly bid play after bid play after bid play. And that is not what the Giants are known for. They are not known for going down the field on bid plays. That's not just how they do it. They, they're a team that just can't get drives going often. and They rely on their defense. And do I think the run defense is going to be able to stop Rodgers a little bit better? Yes, I think so. Doug Martin is not there, but I think Rodgers is just as good as Doug Martin. But when you talk about all those different pieces that Jameis Winston has to throw to Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, Cameron Brait, it's just at some point it's going to be too much for the New York Giants. And I think their Giants are going to fall to 0-4. Again, like you said, that's not to say that we're just burying them completely. Do, do I think they have a chance in this game? Sure, they're good enough that they had a chance in all their games coming into them. But overall, I'm going to take Tampa because Tampa's defense looked very well in their first game. They struggled on the big plays, and the Giants just aren't a team that proved to have big plays during a football game. A division matchup, and one of my favorite division matchups, take place in Week 4, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. Steelers losing 23-17 to the Bears in overtime, snapping a nine-game regular season win streak in the process at Soldiers Field. Baltimore had the same struggles against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Both of these teams coming off losses that really they shouldn't have had, and now they're coming into games of a division matchup. I'm always a fan of these kind of matchups here, and you know I'm going to take the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers' offense has not been there. Le'Veon Bell only averaging, I think, 79 total yards per game, considering last year he was averaging nearly 120 yards per game through the first three weeks of the season. I mean, that's been a big reason why the Steelers' offense has fallen off. But this is one of those matchups where I think you're finally going to see it getting going. I think Le'Veon Bell, because he didn't play in preseason, had a little bit of a sluggish moment, and that's a big reason why you didn't see him getting going through those first three weeks. But here, a division matchup in Baltimore. This is consistency for the Steelers and Ravens. I expect Antonio Brown to see plenty of targets in this game. And I think Le'Veon Bell is going to finally get it going in this game against the Baltimore Ravens. Jose, who do you have between this incredible division matchup? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I'm actually going to roll with the Steelers as well, too. Ben Roethlisberger said it himself. Uh, the quarterback has to play better, and Ben Roethlisberger does have to play better. At the end of the day, he's still Ben Roethlisberger. I still have faith in him. And as you said, I think Bell's going to shake off a little bit of that rust. I think, you know, Ben Roethlisberger has to utilize Antonio Brown and Martavius Bryant. Uh, right now, I think the, the Ravens are coming off a really tough loss against the Jaguars, in which they kind of got embarrassed. And it really does raise some questions uh, about the Ravens' offense as well, too. I think the Steelers have more potential 
to be a dominant team, but Roethlisberger needs to wake up, and I think he starts that this weekend. Okay, we're down to just six more games in another Division One between the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans. Titans 2-1 and one on the season, but Deshaun Watson looked very impressive against the New England Patriots in that loss. Who do you have in this matchup? Yeah, I'm taking the Titans only because they're a more talented team, in my opinion. They're a better team defensively, too, in my opinion, right now than the Texans. Uh, Deshaun Watson, he's been amazing. He's still learning, uh, but I still think he's missing a lot of pieces. Will Fuller might be able to come back this week for the uh, for the Texans, but DeAndre Hopkins was limited in practice this week uh, due to some knee issues. So I think Watson's really not being able to take advantage of his full t- targets and assets because they're not on the field currently at the right time right now. But when all those guys do get healthy, Watson's going to have plenty of targets to throw to. I think Watson is the real deal. See, good things happen when you don't have your rookies hold a clipboard. Um, but at the end of the day, the Titans are better, and I think the Titans get the win. Yeah, but that's a different rookie. That one, I think, is... The, <laughs> I, I think Deshaun Watson was the only rookie going into this draft where I was saying this is the only guy that could actually start at well, the Well, him and Patrick Mahomes, but Mahomes has a, a established QB in front of him. And then you could, and Deshaun Tizer at the moment as well. But I mean, he's done very well, impressive when it, with the Cleveland Browns. But Deshaun Watson, I think just because Clemson had been that good consistently, had been in championship games, it, it's just a next level situation. You're taking on certain teams a little bit more often. It kind of puts you in that NFL-ready moment. And I think that's why I only was considering Deshaun Watson in that moment. And again, Houston has the right pieces behind them. They have Lamar Miller. They have DeAndre Hopkins. What does Shadato have? Nothing. So again, part of the reason why you can take a rookie quarterback because you have pieces around you and see success. And for me, again, uh, Tennessee Titans... uh, I'm very impressed with Deshaun Watson and how he played against the New England Patriots. I think we're going to see Deshaun even emerge more in this game, and I think this is a big factor in this division is how these two teams do against each other in this matchup. But I'm going to give it to the Tennessee Titans, and mainly because we saw the run game really evolve in the week against Seattle with DeMarco Murray. He having a lot of big run plays, and I think if... The Titans are able to use that again as their bid weapon, which was their bid weapon last season. You can expect great success for them in the game against the Houston Texans. San Francisco 49ers take on the Arizona Cardinals, in which has been a facepalm versus facepalm season for the two teams. San Fran 0-3, while Arizona 1-2, and and no David Johnson, no real fun to watch the game. Jose, who do you have in this one? I have the Arizona Cardinals because the 49ers are the 49ers. What about you, Nick? Yeah, just... That's, that's strictly my analysis. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the Arizona Cardinals because they're home. Uh, they got a better defense. That's about all I can give it to. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, there's not much interest in that factor. It's just those two teams playing each other. How about a better fa- uh, matchup between the Philadelphia Eagles traveling to Los Angeles to play? I'm sorry, um, you said better? <laughs> yes, a better matchup. Any one of these is a better matchup. The Bengals versus Browns was a better matchup. 
the Eagles versing the Chargers in Los Angeles. The Chargers trying to get a fan basis. And they'll take on the Philadelphia Eagles. Who do you got in this one? I have the Eagles. I think Carson Wentz has been phenomenal so far to start the year. Um, the run game worries me a little bit. Blount seemed to have gotten it going against the Giants a little bit. But then again, the Giants defense has been allowing a lot against the run. So we got to see that from him again. No Darren Sproles. Breaks his arm and tears his ACL in the exact same play. Ouch. Um, so the run game does concern me for the Eagles. But Carson Wentz looked phenomenal. Alshon Jeffries looks phenomenal so far. I really like the way the Eagles are rolling. I think they have a lot of momentum on their side. And again, the Chargers, I think the Chargers are, are an interesting team. I think they're talented. They're just they're drawing a lot of tough matchups to start the year, and they play in a really tough division. So give me the Eagles over the Chargers, not because the Chargers are a complete failure, but just because the Eagles are a better team as well, too. Yeah, and one of the things is Melvin Dorman seems to be really limited in this game, and I think that's going to be a huge factor against the Chargers as well. When you put it all together, the Eagles are rolling in the right direction while the Chargers are just trying to build a fan base and have seemingly struggled throughout this entire season so far. A lot of tough losses for the Chargers. I think it just continues in that factor for them against Philadelphia Eagles, who don't really turn the ball over too much, but they're a great defense as well. How about what really should be the Sunday night football game? The Oakland Raiders versus the Denver Broncos in Denver. 4 p.m. game instead of the Sunday night game. Both teams 2-1 and one on the season, coming off of losses in last week. Jose, this is really going to be one of the better matchups this week. Yeah, it is. And uh, give me the Broncos over the Raiders in this one. I mean, obviously, I, I would usually go with the Raiders in this situation, but the Raiders looked terrible last week. Um, they allowed Derek Carr to get sacked four times, and that was against an okay Washington defense. You're going up against an even better defense here in Denver. Um, and I think you're in the home crowd of the Broncos as well, too. That doesn't favor the Raiders in any stretch of the imagination. Amari Cooper has really struggled to get it going so far. Crabtree left last week's game with a chest injury, so you don't know if he's 100%. A lot of things are pointing in the direction of the Broncos, so I'm rolling with the Broncos. And again, what should be the Sunday night matchup? I'm not sure who did the schedule for this <laughs> because of what is the Sunday night matchup. But in all seriousness, I give the Broncos over the Raiders in this one. Denver's- I think it'll be close, though. Denver is 9-2 and two in its last 11 games against the Oakland Raiders, while the Raiders are 7-3 and three in their last 10 road contest. You know, if you're a fantasy football fan, you want to have a lot of Denver Broncos in this matchup, and I'm also going to take the Denver Broncos. Trevor Seaman, I think, is going to have an impressive game. You talked about Denver, who had a travel to Buffalo, and I expected Buffalo to take that game because of the travel, but what I didn't expect is for Denver to have such success offensively with over 350 total yards in the football game. While the Raiders are giving up a QBR of like 115 for a quarterback on average this season, I think that puts in for a recipe of success for Trevor Simeon and these Denver Broncos offensive players. It's going to be a tough game for the Raiders. I don't think in any way that should be a cause for concern for Oakland. I think you're just seeing a little bit of a defensive struggle to start off the season from the Raiders, but I have the Denver Broncos winning this game as well. Oakland's still one of the better teams in the league, even if they are 2-2 after this game. And I guess the Sunday Night Football game, which is the Indianapolis Colts, without Andrew Luck, versus 
the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. Seattle has the highest point spread in game this week at 14 points. So it's an interesting choice on the Sunday night football game. I guess they were hoping Andrew Luck was going to be healthy for this one. But, Jose, who do you have in this matchup? Uh, again, the Seahawks because the Colts are the Colts. Again, not much analysis there. And I, the Seahawks have been a little bit of a risky pick as of late, but I expect the defense to get back on track. Again, Jacoby Brissett, he looks nice. He looks like he's going to be a young QB in years to come. But the Seahawks are the Seahawks and the Colts are the Colts at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Seattle. I think this is a great game for Seattle to bounce back from their struggles. I think you could expect them to have, like we said earlier when it came to Seattle, they're versus Frank Gore, Jacob Brissett. Uh, and I, I'm a fan of Brissett. I think it was a good trade on both parts from the Colts and the Patriots. But at the end of the day, this is a great matchup for Seattle to get to 2-2 two and two and to really get going offensively and defensively in a game that they should play very well against the Colts. Washington was able to, I think, surprise a lot of people when beating and really just dominating the game against the Oakland Raiders. They get the Monday night game in Kansas City. Kansas City 3-0, and the only undefeated team in the AFC. Who you got in this one for the final game of Week 4? For the final game of Week 4, I'm going to roll with the Chiefs. Um, again, I think they're a team that's on fire right now. Um, there's really no stopping them. And when you find a way to stop Kareem Hunt, you let me know. Um, <laughs> so I can find a way to message it out to other teams. Because that kid is insane to start the year. Yeah, Kareem Hunt... Three straight games, I think he's the only player to have three straight games of a 50-yard touchdown or more to open up his career. You talked about being impressive, and Kansas City, this is a team that didn't have those big plays last season. They were coming from just Tyreek Hill, and now you have more offense around you. We're seeing Albert Smith target Tyreek Hill, a wide receiver he's targeting. It's unbelievable to say those words on its own. I think this should be a win for Kansas City. I, I think you can look at Kirk Cousins and the Redskins offense improving this week, coming off of a good game against the Oakland Raiders, but just getting a tough road matchup in Kansas City after taking on Oakland as well. I just have Kansas City winning this game, but it's just an overall impressiveness from Kansas City through their first three weeks of the season. I expect nonetheless from them in their Monday night game, week four. And as always, during each Sir Austin on the Beard episode, it's time for Beard Bat, where we take a look back in sports history. And as I say, we're going to start off by going way back in 1880. And remember, we're doing this on September 29th as we're looking back at. In 1880, the first pro baseball game at the Polo Grounds, the New York Metropolitans beat the Washington Nationals 4-2 in five innings. That's how far back we're starting off our sports history in Beard Bat. But there's a reason for it, nonetheless. In 1954, Willie Mays makes the famous over-the-shoulder catch of Vic Wirtz, a 460-foot drive on that one, so the the famous catch of Willie Mays. That was done today in 1954. Mentioned the Polo Grounds in 1880. Well, that's because also in 1957 to the day the New York Giants played their last game at the Polo Grounds. 
The Nets the other Giants were in San Francisco. As we all know, the Madison San Francisco Giants, who lately have won three World Series all on even years, dating back since, I believe, 2010 it started. And in 2005, the Chicago White Sox clinched their first division title since 2000 and became just the 10th team in the history of baseball to be in first place on every single day of the season. The Chicago White Sox would win the World Series in 2005 as well in a 4-0 sweep over the Houston Astros. And, of course, we'll also be talking about the MLB on our next podcast episode, which will be only coming out in a couple days, episode 9, where we're going to be talking a lot about the MLB playoffs, the wild card games as well. And we'll even give our predictions on who wins the AL MVP, the NL MVP, Cy Young Awards as well, and who we expect to make it to the World Series in those predictions for the playoffs. And that's going to be coming out. We're going to be recording that one on Monday, so you can expect it to be coming out just for Tuesday before the wildcard dams as well. And immediately following Beard Back is Dude and Dunce of the Week. And Jose, I'm going to give my Dude of the Week. It was originally going to go to Tom Brady for a terrific performance in the comeback win. However, I'm going to give it to the opposing quarterback in that football game, Tetson's rookie quarterback Deshaun Watson for donating his first game check to three women who worked in the NRG Stadium cafeteria who were especially affected by the flooding from Hurricane Harvey. And he came out to the three women with three envelopes and a ribbon attached to them and just saying, for what you all do for us every day and never complain, I really appreciate you all. And so I just want to give you my first game check to help you all out in any type of way and Watson who earns a base salary of $465,000 donated a check for just over $27,000 to these three women and just a class act and honestly when I think of this the first thing I think of is a line that my mom would always say which is a heart of gold so Watson Certainly, we know how much the Houston Texans have tried to help out when it came to Hurricane Harvey. And Watson, just another one on that long list of celebrities helping out when it came to the hurricane. Yeah, Deshaun Watson, certainly a kid with a good head on his shoulders. Um, Moving on now to Dunce of the Week. Dunce of the Week has to go to Louisville coach Rick Pitino and everybody involved in that whole scandal in which they are now out of a job there out in Louisville. Really just a sad, I mean, I don't need to go into details of it, really sad scandal going on in the NCAA. And what hurts even more is that this is probably not the only scandal that's out there. It's it's probably not known of. I bet there's a lot of other schools that rigged the system to try and get top recruits to come to them in a way. And again, at the end of the day, it's just a sad, broken system where these schools are trying everything they can to grab these players and yet the kids still make no money off of it. Yeah, it was always described as one of those situations where it's, Different names, but old news. It, it, it's something everyone knows that happens, almost to say. And then you have LeVar Ball come out today and say, yeah, there was a lot of schools that tried to illegally bribe me so my sons could commit to them schools. And I'm, I don't like LeVar Ball, but I completely believe him because I could see that. You know, Once one guy like Lonzo does really well, they're probably thinking, oh, let's grab these other brothers. Hey, we'll give you this, we'll give you that. And now LeVar Ball is not going to reveal those names, but I bet you it really does happen that way. Oh, it certainly does. And 
you think back on like certain situations like a Reggie Bush almost on uh, it's it's happening and it's one of those sentences that it's unfair when the kids take it and we blame the kids for taking it and because sometimes you know it is low income areas they come from and that family that they have can use the money for those situations instead of having to wait two years to when he can get paid from a sports team. And it comes down to it. Players in college should be getting paid. I'm not talking millions, but I'm talking about something small enough, but still something at the end of the day. Because football and basketball for college, I mean, they're billion-dollar programs. And... They can't get an extra meal out of it or they run out of food type of situation from their, their passes. And it's it's unfortunate what's still going on in the NCAA. And as we're coming towards the end of the podcast, we're going to go with a final thought here. And we're going to go into the MLB for a moment. Giancarlo Stanton in Thursday night's baseball game hit his 58th and 59th home run of the season. And Jose passes and tied Ryan Howard for the last person to hit 58 home runs in a single year. Chantal, I mean, he's just killing the ball lately. He's got three games left on the season where the Miami Marlins are going to be playing the Atlanta Braves in this one. So how many home runs can John Tallis Stanton get to in these three games? Can he get to 60, 61, 62, or is he not going to get any in your mind over these three days? Although I would like to see him get to 63 and break the real record. Yeah, you heard me say it. Break the real record for most home runs in a season. I don't think he'll reach 63. I think he'll fall short. I think he'll finish with 60, so just one more over this entire weekend. But, I mean, it's possible that he gets to 62. I mean, he is facing the uh, he is facing the Braves, and Giancarlo is a monster. I mean, there's no question how many he can hit in the next three games. He could probably hit two in each game and have six more at the end of the year. But I think he'll stop at 60, which is still a fantastic accomplishment. If anything, I think Giancarlo Stanton made the home run ball interesting again, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm going to say he gets to 60. He's going to hit one over these three days. It's really hard for me to say he hits three in three consecutive days to hit 62 uh, or hits four in the three days to get to 63. I think he's going to get one in these three days. I think it's going to be a little bit of a pressure situation when you're one away from 60. I think that's going to slow him down a little bit, and I don't think he's going to be able to get past that. But I think he's going to join that elite status of 60 in a single season, but overall 59 at the moment, just so impressive and just a lot of fun to watch at the end of the day. And it's going to be a topic that we bring up as well in our MLB discussion when it comes to the home runs, as this was the most home runs hit in a single season in the MLB and just plenty of players, Gentalo, Aaron Judge, and so many as well just dominating the home runs. And we'll talk about reasons why we could see it as going up this year than any other year in baseball. Once again, I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm talking beard, Jose Rivera. And this is Sarasso and the Beard, Episode 8. We break down the NFL, NFC North, and we'll give our Week 4 predictions. Again, Episode 9 coming out next week, early in the week, before... The MLB playoffs begin, and we'll break down the MLB playoffs, 
give our predictions on MVP and Cy Young winners, and we'll even talk a little bit of the NBA finally as well as big trades going on in the NBA as well. So I'm looking forward to episode 9 as well. Thank you for listening to episode 8 of Sarasso and the Beard.